You know, one of the questions for all of us to answer in life, and it's the question for our time together today, is who is in charge? Who's steering this ship of life and history that we are all a part of? You know, when I first started flying, I couldn't stand flying at all. Still not a fan. It's more mental. Focus, stand, focus. You got to get there. But when I understood this idea of autopilot, it helped me like it even less. You know, I wasn't a big fan of the pilots taking this big, you know, multi-ton thing through, you know, the air at hundreds of miles an hour. I was less of a fan when I pictured them kind of sipping a coffee, chatting with each other. But I thought, you know, if I ever wanted to get a rise out of my mom, I'd be driving down the, you know, the street going downhill on my, you know, 10 speed and say, look, Ma, no hands. That's a, that's a sure thing to get kind of moms and dads going. This idea of steering, driving, in control. I think a question that I'd like for us to consider and by God's grace answer Are these random events of life that occur and that I am fundamentally in control? Do I have control of my life and what is going on? Or is there God himself who is in control? And since I was asking myself this question this week, I came up with one of my favorite songs, Twilight Paris. Some of you may know it. Avalon sings it as well. And for our opening prayer this morning, I'm going to read this song as we pray our prayer through it. So join me as we pray. Lord, as we echo the words to this song, we pray to you that we believe that this is not a time for fear. This is a time for faith and determination. Don't let us lose the vision here carried away, Lord, by our emotion. Help us hold on to all that we hold in our hearts For there is one thing that has always been true, and it holds this world together. It is that you, God, are in control. Lord, we understand that history marches on, but there is a bottom line drawn across the ages. Culture can make its plan, but the line never changes. No matter how far the deceptions may fly, there is one thing that has always been true, and it will be true forever, we believe, that you, God, are in control. We believe that your children, that we will not be forsaken. Therefore, we will choose to remember and never surrender and never be shaken. For there is no power above or beside you, we know. God, we believe and help us to believe with greater knowledge and deeper sincerity that you are indeed in control. Amen. We are in Daniel. We started our series a couple weeks ago through the life of Daniel into the first testament of Scripture. And the title for our discussion today is Dreams, Visions, and the Revelation of God. If you try to break things down, chapter 1, we have a bit of an intro, pulls together what is happening. Chapters 2 through 7 of Daniel deals with the purposes of God in and throughout history. 
So we are now entering our section as we begin chapter 2 today, how God deals with history. If you spend some time, as I did, reading on what the commentators, the scholars, both Christians and non-Christians would say about the historical text that we are reading, all the scholars would say that the history that we are reading is true. There was a Babylonian kingdom. There were these individuals, Jerusalem, Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel, the northern, were wiped out. These things are facts. The question that comes up is, because of the prophecies that are included, because of the answer to the vision, could this have been written in 600 B.C., or was it written at a time much later, more like we would write history looking back on World War I and World War II, having history behind us documenting it, or is it written in front of? Because of the vision that we'll read today that God gave to Daniel, those that do not believe work very, very hard. And if you look at the details, work extremely hard to p- try to put this writing at a much later date, near the time of Christ. It's the only thing that would make sense to see history unfold as it was said. So if you're one of those that are thinkers, I would encourage you, do your homework, check it out. Don't take the word of just a, a man standing before you today. Make a decision, how is this history written that is recorded for us today? We're going to break it apart into three sections for ourselves today, three main sections. First, the dreams, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Next, the vision, verses 14 through 30. And then the revelation, verses 31 through 49. We're going to do a little more reading than normal. It is important for us, I think, to take the time and understand. The first section, the dreams, or as I've titled it, the insecurity of man. Follow along with me in your Bible, Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, and the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. Once again, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are just trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, 
there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. King Nebuchadnezzar had it all. He was the ruler of the Babylonian kingdom that was just steamrolling the world. Assyrians gone. Israel gone. They just captured Judah. And they brought all the best of Judah into Babylon, including Daniel and his friends and many others. They took the best of the best. And if you might recall, we talked about these being like teenagers and coming under captivity. Having it all, you would think that this would be the time for Nebuchadnezzar to relax. I'm sure they had a concept of retirement. Maybe he, you're, you're approaching 65. Your 401k is vested, Nebuchadnezzar. Pull it out. Build a garden, which he did. Relax. Go see the Mediterranean Sea. You'll probably call it a little differently. Relax a little bit. Enjoy your palace. Build a summer home, a guest house for the mother-in-law. But Nebuchadnezzar couldn't relax. One of the principles that we believe to be true, and it subverts our minds so often, is that when we attain power, prestige, and plenty, then we can finally relax. My business is in finance. I know many people with all three of those. And I know many people that are not such. Nebuchadnezzar had it to the nth degree. And what do we see about Nebuchadnezzar? What we read shows to me a person of great anxiety. A person of great fear. Let's just take a look. Look in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. If we were making a movie, we might call it, you know, Sleepless in Babylon. He's sitting here. He's having these dreams. You know what happens to us sometimes. You know, they ask, how, are your, how is your sleep? Not so good. I'm tossing and turning, and I'm having these dreams. And his sleep left him. Verse 3, the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled. I got to know the dream. He's anxious, and he's anxiety. He doesn't just wake up in the morning and say, ah, I didn't sleep so well. Now let's go around. He's troubled. He's anxious. The indication, even in verse 3, is he might not even remember the dream. He may or may not. I'm not sure. As we go through this whole story, it's not very clear. He may remember the dream and say, tell me if my, what my dream is, and I'll know if you're telling the truth, and then interpret it. Or he might be saying, listen, 
I'm so messed up in the head right now, I can't sleep. I can't remember my dream, but I know it's messing me up. So help me remember the dream and give me the interpretation. Either of which is reasonable. I'm not sure which, but we do know that he was anxious. Look what his anxiety is leading him to. Leading him to. Look what he says in verse 5. Hey, tell me this dream and interpret it for me, or I will rip you limb for limb and tear down your houses and everything else. Now, remember who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to his wise men, everybody who's helped him to devour kingdoms. They're on top of the world. These are the people that helped him get there. And because of his anxiety, in a moment, in rage, with foolishness, he's ready to destroy them all. This is not just a little anxiety. Depression, anxiety to the nth degree, I don't know. Reminds me a lot of existentialism. Where we are heading, and we'll get to this in a moment. But let's just look a little bit more what happens to him. Look at verse 8. The king answered and said, I know with certain that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. In verse 9, he says to them, you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words. He's talking to you. You're colluding. He's becoming paranoid. He's a conspiracy theorist. You're trying to do this. You're all colluding against me. I see what you're doing. In verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he demanded them all to be destroyed. They had answered him and said, no one can do this. We're just trying to speak rationally. It has never been done. Nobody can do it. Calm down. Can we come back in 10 minutes when you're a little more calm? He says, the only people that can do this, and I'm not sure what really set them off, it might have been that they started referring to God's little g. Only the gods can do this. No man can do this. Nebuchadnezzar might be, don't speak that way to me. If I am not God, if there is a God, why am I not it? He flew into a rage and he said, that's it. Kill them all. Every single one of them, including Daniel and his friends. Been there about a year, Daniel and his friends, and here we go. Now, what I propose to you right now is that go look in the music of the 60s and the 70s and pay attention to it. This kind of theme has existed in the United States, in the world, in Europe. It is a saying, if there is no God and we place security in ourselves, our sleep will be troubled. We will have no answers. There will be no purpose except for this moment right now. There is no such thing as love. There is no such as endearment. There is no such thing as hope. We have no hope. We will die. This is it. There is nothing more. And you see, depression hit the macro society. Listen carefully to the words of some of the songs, and you will hear an emptiness, a void, a longing, So our first takeaway point is man will always be insecure when we place our security in ourselves. The psychologist knows when you wipe away all that's on the surface, 
some of the executive coaches that I've had the privilege of talking to and knowing, they say one of the most fundamental truths is you get to the executive, CEO included, chairman of the board, and you wipe it away and you get them off site and you talk to them, almost curl up like a little lady, a little girl, or a little boy, scared, insecure. How did I get here? I'm a fraud. They're going to find me out. I can't control this. And then we go back and we try to control it again. So Nebuchadnezzar was no different, and he is a prototype for us. No matter how much we achieve, no matter how much the world bows down to us, pats us on the back, no matter how many degrees we get, no matter how much success, deep, deep, deep down, it may even be in our sleep when our subconscious is more at work, we know the truth. We got a problem if we're in charge of this. And anxiety will set in. And so when we see ourselves, I will leave you with this point on the first section. If we see ourselves manifesting any of these attributes in our life, it is very likely that we are placing security in our own ability to deal with our situations. We are trying to take control, and deep down, God has built us with a filter, a pain mechanism that is reminding us, you can try all you want. This is not going to end well. Nebuchadnezzar was looking for answers, just like we are looking for answers. So let's leave Nebuchadnezzar. We got a comparison and contrast. We got the heroes and anti-heroes in this story. It's a beautiful drama. God gave us the wonderful literature. So now let's move on to Daniel and his friends because we got the ogre here, you know, and we got these people that are about ready to be killed. And we sometimes we sit and we read these stories. Oh, I'm going to sit by my fire and I'm going to read the story of Daniel. Oh, how nice. Maybe I'll have some coffee and some cocoa, maybe some tea. Oh, look at how great Daniel is. That's wonderful. I'd like to be a little more like Daniel, and then we leave it. I'm going to encourage us not to do that today. This is not some story, a novel, a little mystery. It's a one-time event. This is very similar to my life and your life. Your circumstances are different. Where you're captive to, who your boss is, the relationship that's causing you a problem is different, but it's the same situation. So let's take a look at it. So Daniel and his friends, and this happens to us in life, right? They were going along merrily. They were teenagers in the southern kingdom doing a little better than their northern cousins. Here comes Babylon. We're taking you back. Mom, dad, gone, aunts and uncles, take you out. Here we go. They just settle in. Peter preached last week, and we've taken a look in the last two weeks they had their first challenge. They had to eat the food of the king, and what are they going to do, and how are they going to react? They take the high road. They, they, they survive. They come across okay. They're looking really good. The king likes them. they got a good stature. They're finally going, you know what? Life is not good. This is not what we would want to be captives in Babylonian, having new names, new language. We're in Babylon University, and we got to learn all this stuff. But you know what? We're settling in. Okay, Lord, if this is as bad as it gets, I've went from a 10 in life to a three, but I can readjust my three and I'll get behind it. 
And then it comes, you're sitting along, you say, what's going on in the king's court? Oh, yeah, there's a death decree. You're dying this afternoon. Your three goes to a one. And aren't we the kind of people that go, hey, it's a three. What comes out of our mouth? It really can't get any worse than this. It's been a bad, bad year. It's bound to improve now. Well, it just got fundamentally worse for Daniel and his friends. And if you're Daniel and his friends, you're starting to think like this again, like we do. Who is steering this ship? If God is in control and we've been taken captive, Israel, which is God's promise to Abraham covenant coming through, and we're going to build God's kingdom through this, I got to tell you, Lord, my faith is getting tested here. I can handle coming over. I could handle the fact that I had to assert my authority over what foods I ate and how I'm trying to live for God and keep some of God's precepts in a foreign land. But I'm starting starting to have a few doubts because now I've got a death sentence and it sure seems like everything's going Nebuchadnezzar's way and he's acting like a megalomaniac. Do you ever find yourself in a situation like this? Jerry prayed for it in the praise team. At this point, Daniel's like, surrender, control. This is a mess. That's the situation Daniel was in. I don't think it's very far off from where you and I find ourselves at times as well. All right, let's read 14. Let's see what happens next. Now we're all excited. We can't wait to read. This is just like fifth grade. Here we go. Then Daniel replied with prudence and deception to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, hey, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and he requested the king to appoint him a time that he might be able to show the interpretation to the king. Apparently that went at least reasonably well because then in verse 17 we have, then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to his three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Hey, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the interpretation. 
Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and he said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, musicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Right there, he was on dangerous ground because he might have gotten a knife right there because he basically said no. But, he got to the but and he's still alive, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. We saw the attributes, the actions, the life of an individual insecure, secure in themselves or secure in man. The Chaldeans, others with Nebuchadnezzar. Now let's take a look at what the attributes are of a person, of an individual or individuals that are secure, not in themselves, but in God himself. Those that are secure in God, I'll propose that we have four characteristics that we need to take a look at. First, prayerful. Take a look at with me in verse 18. So Daniel went up to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and he told them to seek the mercies of God concerning this mystery. Twenty-four. Really, twenty-three. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might, and now you have made known to me what we have asked of you. Asked is prayer. So what Daniel happens here, Daniel asked the leader, he goes, what's going on? And he explained it all to him. He said to the king, give me a moment so we can come back and give you your dream and your interpretation. He comes back to his friends and says, friends, I got the, here's, here's the skinny. We got a little bit of time. We, 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 we can live if we can give the interpretation of the dream and if we can actually give the dream. And they looked at him. Daniel, do you, do you have the dream? No. What's the plan? We're going to pray. The plan is to pray and ask for the mercies of God. Now, I believe that Daniel was probably in prayer himself as he's walking back. Lord, how should I share this with them? They might not take this well. Lord, help me. But when he gets to his friends, so individually, I would assume he's in prayer. We don't know. But we do know that when he got together with his three buddies, could be 10, could be seven, however many friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, buddies we have, he said, we need to form a little prayer meeting. 
I don't care if we're at Starbucks, I don't care if we're in middle school, if we happen to be on a conference call together, if we're in different states, we need to pray. And they prayed. So the first attribute of an individual who places their security and confidence in God is a characteristic of prayer. Prayer is primary for these individuals. Believe that it could save themselves and potentially even save the Chaldeans and save others. So a question for us, is prayer supplemental to our life or is it fundamental? And I would propose, sadly so, that for many of us it is supplemental especially in certain times and seasons. And one of the reasons we will see is potentially the next one, which is a blessing, potentially, and a curse, depending on how you look at it. The need, our felt needs, are not always there. God Almighty might know that we have heavy and deep needs, but we, because we're so busy and the noise around us is so good, we like the tenor of the music and we're dancing to it, if you will. We don't feel the need. What did it take here? I assume that they were in prayer. We know about Daniel, that he prayed consistently here. But here the situation was they were literally on death row. And death is imminent. And the need to preserve their life pushed them into immediate prayer. But the circle of our lives kind of goes like this a lot. Lord, help me get a good job and help me have a good marriage and help me have kids that are healthy. And we look around and that's pretty much, we got that. Thank you, Lord. I'll talk to you again when I have any more needs. And then when health goes bad and when something goes back, we turn back to God. But the, but the pattern where God kind of gave us where we have some blessings in our life, the blessings cover, if you will, our opinion of our own need, our depravity, our pain, and what's coming right behind it. We pause from the fundamental nature of prayer, and it has become supplemental. So be very, very careful. A little side takeaway point for us for this cycle where we pray for blessings, receive them, and then we stop praying until the blessings are removed. It is very, very easy because we are so selfish. And we pray when we have selfish needs. And our loving God, amazingly, even hears those. So the need. Last comment, last point I will make about that. This is one of the reasons that Scripture teaches us to rejoice in every situation we find ourselves in. In every circumstance. The ones that we feel are bad... You even tell people that all the time. Well, watch, listen to our language. Oh, I had a bad thing happen to me this week. Well, what happened? Forget what happened. What was the outcome? Oh, I was on my knees in prayer all night about it. So is it really a bad thing? Or is it a really, really good thing? But our language is it was a bad thing. So let us just not be so quick to judge what is helpful to us if it drives us to our knees. Because God loves us. Needful. Number three, worshipful. 
pay attention with me. Look at Daniel. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision before he even went back to Nebuchadnezzar. In verses, we're now in 19 and 20. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. And he goes into this beautiful diatribe of praise and worship and honor to God. He had faith, he prayed in faith, he had a revelation, he saw it, God answered it, gave it to him in a vision of the night. Daniel believed it before even he went to the king. The king went, that's not it. Immediately, immediately his heart is turned to praise and turned to worship. So if we find ourselves worrying, if we find ourselves maybe even praying, but when things start to have some clarity, whether we like the clarity or not, have some clarity, even prior to it all, do we just go, whew, got through that one, or will we people of worship? Do we wait for Sunday morning, somewhere around 10.03 or so, for really getting into worship, or are we people of worship? And the one that characterizes all of these, that might put together all three, if you're taking notes, I'd put it maybe even on the side. The fourth point is humility. We need to be prayerful. We need to recognize our need and be needful. And we need to be moved quickly to be worshipful. But none of this is possible without humility. Daniel is just reeking of humility here when the king says to him, are you able to make known the dream? And I kind of even said it as we were reading. Can you do it? Most of us, we dem- yes, I can. I just, I have it. Yes, I can. I'm proud to say I absolutely can. feel good about that. About 80% hit rate on this. I feel pretty good. Most of my competition is about 45. I think you should hire me. I'm good about this. He's, he said, literally, no, I cannot. King, I cannot. But there is one who can. And it is my God. And my God has chosen to reveal it to me. And then he goes further. Not because I am wiser. Not because I am better. But because God has chosen to reveal it to me. He revealed it to me because we asked in prayer. Humility. We're putting these things together. I want to encourage you in prayer. I want to even make a point even about a situation like today. I was talking to Brad even about this uh, before the service. We were sitting and saying prayer. Do we come together in prayer? That little last statement that, that Daniel says, you know, God granted this to me, the revelation to me, to him individually. They didn't all four get it. Because we, the four collectively, prayed to you, God. So this idea of a praying church If God had gave, even use an example, a simple example like a teaching point today, God having one of us speak the word, are we waiting for that individual to be the only one praying about what comes out? Or are we a people of prayer? It is what is coming out to us insufficient to move us. Is that because the teacher is insufficient or sometimes is it because our prayer has not been there? We have not asked for God to reveal to an individual what he has for us. So if we get a little dicey at this point, get a little off track, I'm pointing to you guys. Our third section, the revelation of God. 
Let's see the third part of the book as it brings this story to a conclusion for us. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. So Daniel's now sharing with him his dream. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God, big G, of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the whole earth. And there shall yet be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall still be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with a soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Remember what we said at the beginning that chapters 2 through 7 deal with God's purposes in and throughout history? This is a moment in time where the king of kings, the king that God gave to rule over, if it were, the whole world at that time, the most powerful king, the one that had the nuclear bomb, if you will, when no one else did, in charge of everything. And he says, here is what's going to come next. 
There's going to be a second kingdom, not as big as yours and not as strong, but it's going to take over. And then there will be a third kingdom, and then there will be a fourth kingdom. And in this, there will be a kingdom that God sets up that no kingdom shall ever stand, that will destroy all the kingdoms of this world and will stand forever. It is one that is not made with hands. It is done miraculously. It is done without hands, and it grows as a mountain, and it will destroy everything. If you look back at history... You will see the Babylonian kingdom, followed by the Medo-Persian kingdom, followed by the Greeks taking over and expanding the whole world, and followed by maybe the kingdom of iron, potentially the Roman kingdom, which was super strong. And its rule was all the way. A point for us. When we read something like this, if you're reading this on a Tuesday night at your home, this is where many of you say, I just don't understand scripture. It is just so hard. I got bronze. I got this. I got toes and clay. And I am like, maybe they'll explain it to us at school tomorrow. There is a point for us here. This is one of the chapters of all of scripture. There's others. We'll get to some in Daniel 7 and others where the interpretations are many. Very specific And it can get very dogmatic. I very strongly believe that God clearly, for anyone who's interested in paying attention and reading, who prays about it and sits back, has the Holy Spirit, can get an interpretation, even those without, can see it fairly quickly, the main point. I used to do a lot of skiing in Moguls, and there was a thing called the fall line. You go down the fall line. Don't get too veered off. The main point here is very clear. There will be successive kingdoms to the Babylonian kingdom. He knows he's talking to the king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he's saying your kingdom will end. There will be a kingdom that will take over, and there will be another one, and then there will be another one. But God's kingdom will beat and trump all of these. I would say that everybody would agree with that interpretation. The scholars that are not believers, I'll go back to the beginning, they would even argue it is so obviously true that they will have great pains to say this was not written in 600 B.C. How do you know to name four greater kingdoms, if you will? This happened. This is happening. And here's what we know as point two. God's kingdom that he said that will be established, his kingdom not made with hands, the kingdom of God is being established in parallel. At the same time, while this was all happening, we had the Abraham covenant, we had the covenant of Israel, we had the northern kingdom basically destroyed, and then we had Babylon come in and take the southern kingdom, Judah, and God's covenant people are being broken and hurt and and beat down. I believe that Daniel understood that his promises of a covenant people to be there for God's kingdom to stand, that it says that your race will be numbered like the sands of the sea, and of them there will be no end who call Yahweh and Messiah God, Jehovah God. Daniel is a remnant of a people, and he's saying, God, I believe that even through a few men like us, you can be sovereign. And you can be in control. And while the kingdoms of this world are having their day, and they're securing themselves, there is an almighty God working. But it may not be as visible. And it may even seem like it's lost. But make no mistake, it has not been lost. 
And what do we know that happened 600 years later? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was born of a virgin. And history tells us, born to Mary. Joseph was engaged. They hadn't even been together. He lives a life, and he has a ministry, and he dies, and he's resurrected by his own power. And the world is changed. And to this day, we will have in Matthew what Jesus said, And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell themselves will not stand against it. I will build my church, the covenant people. What has survived the Babylonian kingdom? What has survived the Medo-Persian? What has survived the Greek? Pay attention to the Greek debt issue right now. Not a fun situation. The Roman kingdom. God's kingdom, which is not a country. It is not a people. United States will have a moment, and the United States will have a down moment. Europe will be up. Europe will be down. Africa is struggling. But God's kingdom is in and throughout. China was a power. Russia, the church is growing dramatically in China. Because God's kingdom is sovereign. And God is in control. And in Hebrews 12, it tells us that his kingdom will not be shaken. Daniel gave the interpretation to the king because God revealed it and he had confidence that God was in control. The situation looks bleak. God's kingdom looks to be very, very small. The kingdoms of this world look very, very powerful. But make no mistake, that's exactly how God has allowed it to be for the moment. And there will come a time where no kingdom shall stand and no kingdom will be left except God's eternal, unshaken kingdom. And every one of us has an invitation into that kingdom. As Jerry said, to surrender our life, to surrender our control, our seeming control of our life that leads us to anxiety, fear, anger, wrath, foolishness, and turn over control to God who can steer the ship through all seasons of storms, that we will even praise God in the storm. Surrender my life to God who has made himself known, who has revealed himself through history and scripture, and is alive and well in the person of Jesus Christ, represented by the Holy Spirit with us here today. Nebuchadnezzar answered here, and he was in awe. He even showed respect to this God because he knew that a miracle just happened. The king of Babylon said, wow, your God exists. Your God is amazing. That's fantastic. I just got to point us to verse 1 of chapter 3. This guy's got some real issues. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. If this were just given this revelation to you, what would be the first thing you would do? I'm going to go build that image. Were you paying attention? Am I paying attention? When God says to me, Stan, you don't know what you're doing. Let go. Why are you so worried? Why are you going after this? Why are you freaked out? Why are you building yourselves altars? Why are you putting this thing away? Are you thinking, I love you, God, I got it. 
I'm just going to go build my image right now. And it's so silly, it's so ridiculous. I literally, when I read that again, I said, I, that, seriously? That's how broken we are. That, my friends, is how messed up we are. We need a savior. We need a sovereign. We need somebody who's in control. Because I can assure you, you don't want me steering the ship. And take no offense, not that confident in you steering my ship either. God, I think God left it for us. I'm not going to read it, interest of time, but verses 46 through the end. It was immediate here, but it can be later. Daniel was promoted. Start of the chapter, he goes from a three to a zero. You're on death row. By the end of the chapter, he's being promoted to the chief of staff of all of Babylon. And we would all be likely to go, we'll see, this is just a bad time, just a bad time. It's all God could, see. Well, we forget that Daniel's the same guy who goes in a lion's den, and it just up and down and all around. God is in control, even past chapter 2, when it gets bad again. We end chapter 2 in a high note, but that high note is fleeting. Don't get too enamored with it. And the low notes are not so bad. They're still a part of the same sheet of music that is being played to the end. And in the end... There will be no more lion's den. There will be no chapter 3, 4, and 5. There will be one chapter forever that we will reign with God in the new Jerusalem. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. And God will restore all things as they should be without pain and suffering. And he will be sovereign. He will be our temple. We will have community with him and we will have real relationship with each other. No broken relationship. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you're ready by God's leading of his spirit to surrender your life and live life differently and live life victoriously, then pray in your heart as I reread the prayer of the song as we pray it together now. Lord, we ask you to break us. We ask you to give us insight that you are sovereign and that you are God and that you are alive and well. We ask you this, Lord, as we pray the words of this song. Lord, we confess that this is not a time for fear, but this is a time for faith and determination. Don't let us lose the vision here as we are carried away, Lord, by our emotions. Help us to hold on to all that we hold in our hearts. For there's one thing that has always been true, and Lord, you know that it holds the entire world together, that you, God, are in control. Lord, history marches on, but there is one bottom line drawn across the ages. We understand that culture can make its plan, but the line never changes. No matter how far the deception may fly, there is one thing that has always been true, and it will be true forever, that you, God, are in control. We believe that we, your children, will not be forsaken. Lord, help us as we choose to remember and never surrender and to never be shaken. For we confess there is no power above or beside you. For this we know. God, we believe you are in control and we ask that you help our unbelief so we live it out. In the name of you, our sovereign God, amen.